Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sanabria. Hello, leaders. This is your host, Lily Sanabria. And today we have the honor of having Dr. Larry Arenstein with us. He represents the consummate professional educator who spent 46 years in public education, having started as a science teacher, then working as a principal at the elementary, middle school, and high school levels. He worked as an assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction and retired as superintendent of schools of the Glen Cove Public Schools in New York. Most recently, Dr. Arenstein founded Educational Performance Consultants. He consults and trains school leaders in the development and implementation of the new annual professional performance review plan, APPR plan, among other projects. Many credit Dr. Arenstein with leading the Glen Cove and Copaig school districts into periods of renaissance. Arenstein relishes the challenge of coaching supervisors and teachers to excel as instructional leaders. Long before moving to Long Island, New York, Dr. Arenstein was lauded for his superior leadership skills, winning the Massachusetts Principal of the Year Award. In addition, during his tenure at the John Glenn Middle School in Bedford, Massachusetts, the school was awarded the prestigious National Recognition Award, which he received at the White House by President George H.W. Bush. He has published dozens of articles in leading educational periodicals, including Educational Leadership, NASSP Bulletin, Science Teacher, and Action Learning, an ASCD publication. He has consulted in districts throughout the country and in Germany. He was the founder and director of the highly respected Long Island Leadership Academy, mentoring scores of educational leaders. Okay. Welcome, Dr. Larry Arenstein. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Ready to rock and roll. Okay, great. So my first question is, what inspired you to choose educational leadership as a career path? Well, uh, I, uh, I started out uh, many, many years ago. Um, and I guess I, my, my first um, inclination was to go into medicine uh, or dentistry or something like that. I, I, in college, I was a biology major. And it became clear to me that uh, that was going to cost a great deal of money. And my family uh, just didn't have those kinds of resources. I had an older brother. Uh, who was a teacher and became a school administrator and was a bit of a role model to me. And so, uh, this is now 50 years ago, um, I uh, began working as a science teacher in New York City. And uh, 
education kind of called me. Um, I looked around and I, I found that there were uh, school leaders who were very effective uh, and uh, mentoring me and, and working with me and doing really good things. And there were folks who weren't so effective. Uh, in fact, some of them were outright destructive. Uh, and so, ed you know, educational leadership kind of uh, tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, I always felt it as if I was a very successful teacher. Uh, and I felt that the skills that I had learned very early in my career uh, would really carry me in, in terms of leadership. Uh, and so it was a matter of adapting many of those early skills uh, in, into the, the realm of leadership, and it evolved. It was a natural thing. You saw the need for leadership. Natural. Very natural. Now, how would, you, how would others describe your leadership style? Well, uh, I, I guess you probably have to ask them, but I, I, I guess uh, a lot of folks who I have worked with over the years uh, would describe me as uh, a coach, uh, a mentor, uh, someone who uh, stimulated their, their own self-reflection, uh, their own growth. Uh, I try to ask a lot of questions uh, and probe uh, with an open mind. Um, I think they would describe me as being open-minded, uh, that one was always able to walk in to my office and say, can I talk to you? And sometimes uh, share that uh, they disagreed with some of the things that uh, I wanted to do or directions that I was thinking of going. And I was open to hear that. So. A lot of it has to do with being open uh, and uh, being available uh, to people who, with whom you work and people who report to you. Well, that's fantastic. That, that, you don't come across that often. I mean, at least I haven't come across that often. So mm -hmm. I'm imagining that a lot of the people that um, were working with you grew a lot. Well, that was the whole idea. You yeah. know, to me, it's, it's all about uh, growing and developing, uh, becoming uh, more effective, uh, learning, uh, and that's a lifelong enterprise. Uh, it, it was something that, uh, frankly, I didn't have. And a, as a teacher, uh, I always, especially as a science teacher, uh, you, you, good science teachers get hooked on the inquiry process um, and dispelling uh, uh, myths, dispelling things that don't make any sense. Uh, and you do that by asking questions, by probing, by having people clarify uh, what it is that they're trying to say. Uh, challenging uh, with regard to, you know, what's the evidence? Uh, so a lot of that really grows out of uh, very early foundations in being a teacher. So, so um, which 
quotes or quotes about leadership has the most meaning for you currently and why? Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking about that. I, you know, I, I read your question previously. Um, I kind of like the quote of uh, know who you are, know where you are, look around, plan, and take action. Uh, that to me is a process that makes a lot of sense. And it starts with uh, this journey towards self-awareness, uh, which you never finish, uh, the idea of knowing who you are. Uh, there's much too much ego involvement with leadership. Uh, people trying to fulfill their own ego needs. Uh, and what happens is uh, when it's all about me, if it's all about my trying to demonstrate how smart I am, uh, how much power I have, uh, then what happens is you stop listening uh, because everybody around you potentially can teach you something. Uh, everybody around you can have an insight which you might not have. So as smart as I might be, and that's for other people to <laughs> decide upon, uh, the group is always vastly smarter than the leader of the group collectively and sometimes individually. And that quote you can take through generations. I mean, it mm -hmm. works <laughs> yesterday and today and tomorrow. And, and I think it, you, you could take that in terms of your everyday living, your everyday life. Uh, you know, know who you are, know where you are. It's, it, it starts there, you know, being appropriate, being civil. Uh, uh, different situations uh, require me to use different aspects of who I am. You know, we're all very complex people. And so I tap into those aspects of who I am uh, to be most effective with regard to where I am. And that leads to um, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Well... I guess uh, I have learned from all different kinds of leaders uh, over a very long career. I mean, I've worked a lot of places, uh, a lot of different settings, uh, small town, rural, uh, large cities, higher education, elementary, middle school, high, I, you know, uh, I've worked in all of those different settings. Uh, with a lot of different leaders. And some of the worst leaders taught me uh, what not to do. <laughs> so it's not it's just a matter of what you do, it's what sometimes you don't do. How not to be, yes. Yeah, how not to be. I, I, I worked for a superintendent many years ago. And his advice to me was uh, pay attention to the detail because the big things will take care of themselves if you take care of the detail. He had it upside down. Uh, I worked for leaders who uh, had fantastic human relations skills. They would make you feel so comfortable. You would feel as if uh, you've known them your whole life. 
they were very, very likable. But in the way of substance, there was nobody home. There was no depth, no, no substance. It was an, eat, you know, an inch deep. And yet this particular individual I'm thinking about was very successful as a school leader. And so I learned from him. Uh, you know, in a, we were talking before we, we went on the uh, mm -hmm. microphone here mm -hmm. rather than on camera. Uh, we were talking about restaurants. Mm -hmm. And good restaurants, uh, they have uh, the outside man or woman and they have the inside man or woman. Uh, who's in the kitchen behind the scenes doing the cooking? Um, a successful restaurant has to have great food. That's the outside man. Uh, the inside man is the maitre d', meeting and greeting and backslapping and make, making people feel comfortable. Um, uh, and that's important, mm -hmm. but that's not where the substance is. Uh, if I didn't get good food, I wouldn't go back to that restaurant. That the handshake and the backslap isn't enough to draw me back. And it requires a team, right? Well, it, yes, it, it does require a team. Um, it, it requires, uh, or we're talking now about organizations, what organizations require. Uh, and so the organization uh, requires political leadership. The organization requires conceptual leadership. And finally, the organization requires uh, management, somebody who's going to take care of the resources. And generally speaking, uh, one individual uh, does not possess all of that. Uh, oftentimes, one of those skills uh, every once in a while, maybe two, but never all three. And any organization that's going to be effective needs all of those areas, people who can provide leadership to all three of those areas. Every organization that uh, I've ever encountered that was really effective uh, fostered all three of those areas, political, conceptual, and management. So, you know, when we talk about team, and that brings us to the next question, and you may have already answered this, but I want, I want to, to really, for you to think about the teams that you've built throughout the years, good teams. When you think about that, how do you, what do you, um, how do you define a good team, and how do you build one? Yeah, well, let's start with, um, how do you build one, all right? Uh, it takes a very long time to build a really good team. Uh, and sometimes you never get there. And the reason I say that is that uh, you come into an organization, most of us come into an organization uh, that's already formed, uh, that is, uh, has its own culture. And we come in and we have to learn that culture, we have to adapt to that culture. And there are people who are already in place. 
some of those people I never would have hired to begin with. Uh, and yet, uh, to a great extent, I'm kind of stuck with those people. So for me to build the kind of team, the ideal team that I would like to have, uh, a lot of those people, uh, you know, I, I, I try to modify their behavior, I try to teach them, uh, but some of those folks, uh, their uh, behaviors uh, have been so inbred and so resistant uh, that you really can't bring them that far along, uh, realistically. And so, uh, given those challenges, it's very difficult uh, to build that ideal team. I, I think you can uh, certainly make your team uh, more effective uh, over a period of time uh, by coaching, by mentoring. And when an opportunity arises uh, to replace somebody, to bring somebody in who's new, uh, that is a, an incredible experience and you, you can't squander uh, that opportunity. So you really have to bring in uh, somebody who uh, is going to be a, a superstar. So, uh, you know, the whole idea of team building uh, is a real challenge. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been, uh, you know, as you're talking, I, I can think of a situation where I walked in and the culture was very Toxic. Toxic, extremely toxic. Yeah. Um, and it was quite difficult to, to kind of bring that light. Yeah, to navigate <laughs> into the, it. Yeah, you to have navigate. to be able to navigate it. Yeah. Um, but there were some great people there. and it's, and you, it's always, you always find some really good people, yeah. no matter where you go. You yeah. find some really good people. Uh, but it's that, it's that balance uh, and the synergy, uh, the, the ability of people to work together. Uh, and very often, uh, even in good organizations, there's conflict among people and teams. Uh, and it just, you know, it wears the leader out uh, trying to uh, resolve conflicts uh, which are so unnecessary. It takes so much time and energy to deal with all of that, and there's so much important work to be done. It's a distraction from what really has to be done. Okay. Now tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. Well, you know, I, I thought about that also and I, I could think of so many. Uh, I guess I, I, would, I would have to go back uh, to my roots. Uh, you know, when, when somebody uh, encounters uh, someone whose name is uh, Dr. Lawrence Arenstein, Imagine being uh, a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old, and your name is Lawrence Arenstein. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a stereotype. Uh, and the stereotype is, and I, I, I'm going to be very frank, uh, gee, uh, this, is, uh, this is a Jewish guy. Uh, he probably grew up uh, in an affluent home. Uh, probably had went to the best schools, uh, probably had all that money could buy. Uh, and so there are assumptions that are made about you. Um, the fact of the matter is, uh, I grew up uh, in a lower middle class family. Uh, my father for many years uh, worked as 
a janitor uh, for the New York Port Authority. Uh, he washed at, at, at the airports. Uh, he washed floors. He washed toilets. Uh, obviously, he didn't make a lot of money. He didn't have much of an education. Uh, my mother was handicapped. I grew up in a tenement in the Bronx. Where? I, to, I did uh, too. Yes, I, I grew up uh, right near uh, Taft High School in the Bronx. I grew uh, up in Morris. the My Haven Project. Yes, of course. Okay, <laughs> I could relate to that. Uh, and so, you know, I did not have uh, a whole lot of um, experiences that took me, as a, as a very young person growing up, that took me beyond my environment. Uh, the Bronx was, and my neighborhood was a very small world. So you, we talk about, you know, what is your greatest challenge? Uh, to, to a great extent, your greatest challenge is, uh, in my case, is to somehow make up for all of those deficiencies. Now, I had a great deal of love from my parents. They were wonderful parents. Uh, but I, I didn't have anybody who was going to put their arm around me and say, uh, look, son, I'm going to take you into the, uh, in, in, into the family business. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm going to point you uh, to, the, to the best colleges. Uh, I'm going to open up opportunities for you. Uh, I'm going to teach you uh, all of the knowledge and skills you're going to need uh, to, to be successful. And so you grow up. I mean, I never owned a bicycle. And I learned how to ride a bicycle in my 50s. Uh, the family didn't have a car. Uh, aside from going to New Jersey a, a couple of times and, and maybe Connecticut once or twice, uh, I, I, I didn't go anywhere. And so as an adult uh, with a good education, uh, and education to me was the key, uh, that was my greatest challenge, was to overcome that very small world in which I grew up without resources. And I've spent the rest of my life trying to make up for it. Um, and uh, I, I guess doing okay. Mm. Uh, I could point to a lot of professional challenges along the way, and uh, you know, they were very significant, and I learned from, from those as well. But I think the greatest challenge uh, is one's own uh, personal roots. Interesting, because I think for me growing up too, my mom would always say education, education is the way right. out. That's and so right. I was a hot mess at home, but mm -hmm. at school, right. I did really well. Right. I did really well. So, okay. So tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it shaped you and the lives of those around you. Well, I, I guess that's, you know, that's difficult. Uh, I, I've had lots of successes. You know, it, dep it depends upon how you define success. Uh, one of, one of and, and I could choose, you know, as a, again, quite a number of examples, but uh, one of my great successes grew out of uh, a great failure. And I think that before you could really be very successful, you really have to fall on your face mm -hmm. uh, and bounce off the ground a couple of times. Uh, this goes back, and I'll tell the story very quickly, this goes back 
uh, when I was working on my doctorate, I was teaching at Buffalo State. I was a young college professor. It was during the Vietnam era. And I had uh, identified uh, the area of uh, environmentalism, environmental education, and uh, student community service projects as a mode of teaching. Uh, I was a very successful classroom teacher and had mastered many of the pedagogies, but I became very interested in alternative environments to teach. Well, in any event, uh, with a group of about 80 students who I organized, we, we organized uh, one of the first recycling programs in the United States, in the city of Buffalo, and, uh, wow. uh, and an area that uh, stretched 60 miles in all directions, a radius. And we collected so much material to be recycled that we were overwhelmed by it. We, couldn't, we didn't have enough transportation to pick it all up. And there were hundreds of tons of recyclable re uh, material that people had put in these different centers that we set up, uh, which we weren't able to clean up, to pick up. Uh, and it, it, it was an incredible failure. And I remember being on a truck for three days, almost without any sleep, with a group of students, and pulling up in front of a small Catholic college. And the nun uh, was there. We were hours and hours late on a cold March day. Uh, and we pulled up in our truck, and she came out there, and I had you know, three, four people on the truck with me, and there was this mountain of recyclable material that stretched all the way down the block and six feet high and about you know, 10 feet off the building. They had a different problem. Uh, well, we had to get all that stuff out of there. And she came out of the building with her girls and some of their boyfriends. This was a, you know, a small Catholic college. And they cleaned up all of this stuff along with my crew. And then sat us down and we had a dinner. And I asked her, I said, Sister, how did you get all of these students to pitch in and work like that? Because by the third day, my students were quitting on me. You know, they, they had done their ego trip and cleaning up the environment. Uh, and her students would, you know, were there for hours and hours waiting. And she said, it was really easy. I said, what did you do? What's the secret? She said, I told them that 40% of their final grade was based upon participation. <laughs> I kind of scratched my head, and I said, that, that can't be the answer. Uh, and so uh, I did a good deal of, you know, reading and research, and I found a wonderful book uh, back from the 1930s that had guidelines for community service projects. And it became my doctoral dissertation. And then using those guidelines and kind of inventing a few extra guidelines, I ran another program. And it was incredibly successful. Awesome. <laughs> and so, you know, what I learned from all of that was, you know, the perseverance involved, uh, the need to do your homework. 
the need to challenge uh, conventional thinking as to how things should be done. Uh, not be punitive, but uh, to reward people for their efforts, for their constructivism. And I carried that with me for the rest of my life. It was a very powerful message. Well, it, it also took humility on your part to just, and also self-reflection. You, you know, I'm thinking about the scientist in you. I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. All right, uh, after after the, this, you know, failure, I couldn't sleep, uh, and I was a mess. My wife was really worried about me, my my health and my mental health. Uh, and then, and then one of my major professors, I spoke to him. And he said, well, you, you got to read this book. I read the book. I called him back. I said, wow. I said, there's a map. I said, and this is, you know, th this thing is, you know, at that time, you know, 30, 40 years old. No, nobody, the book wasn't even in circulation anymore. Uh, and so it taught me that you've got to go outside yourself uh, in order to continue to learn and yeah, there's a lot of humility involved in, uh, in failure and understanding that other people hold the keys, other people hold the knowledge, other people have the wisdom. And the perseverance that you had. And the, and the perseverance. You know, yeah, and the perseverance. The and fact so, that you had a mentor, your, your professor, yes, yeah. gave you a book that and you he, read. That, and, that, and, and that's, I'm talking about 1971. And that man is still my friend all of those years ago. That's okay. Awesome. He's still my friend. He's still out there. I'm still in communication with him. And some of my early mentors, when I first started to teach over 50 years ago, are still out there. They're still my friends. They're quite elderly, but they're still there. I'm still in communication with them. And that's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. Yeah. That's great. That's a great story. Thank you. Um, now, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working environment or climate or culture? That, that happens quite often. It, it happens uh, too often. All right? um, one thing I would say would be to uh, assess, well, let's go back to know who you are, know where you are, and look around. Let's just stop there. Uh, if you find that your values uh, are not in sync with those of your organization and that you really aren't in the position to modify those values, then one of your options is to leave. There's nothing wrong with leaving. Uh, there's uh, another one of my great mentors told me once, um, no one mistake will ever destroy your career. Uh, you've got a lot of mistakes in you. Don't worry about them. Learn from them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you make a mistake or uh, you, know, you kid yourself and you think, well, I'm going to go into that uh, organization, I'm going to go into that culture, uh, and I'm a pretty smart guy, and I'm going to change that organization. I'm going to change that culture, and it's just not working that way. Uh, then you better start looking for another job. Then get out. 
there's nothing wrong with walking away. Yeah. yeah. And you speak about mistakes. And um, I think one of the things that um, is important is to also take responsibility because I've, I've had my share of mistakes. Yeah. Um, but one of the key things is to take responsibility for those mistakes. Right. Um, so, okay. So um, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners, and, and you hear this thrown around a lot. It's thrown around a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? Well, you know... <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't particularly like, you know, the, the uh, new age. The, well, it's, it's not it's not so much it's not so much new age, but uh, these uh, simplistic uh, slogans is mm -hmm. the word I'm mm -hmm. looking for. Um, I, I I try to I, I try to express myself, you know, in ways where I'm not using jargon. Um, so lifelong learner to me is a jar, you know, is, is a piece of jargon. You know, what I like to say is um, that as a reflective person, again, we go back to uh, uh, know who you are, um, you have to look at yourself. It all, it all starts with me uh, and my ability to develop insight as a result of looking at myself, taking a look at uh, the objective evidence that surrounds me, trying to figure out, you know, what's really going on around here, and learning from it, uh, and realizing that I don't know everything. Uh, in fact, uh, in some cases, I, I may not know a whole lot, but that doesn't mean that I can't find out. Uh, that I could go out and learn, and you learn in a lot of ways. Uh, you learn by doing. Uh, by making mistakes, by figuring out what went wrong. Uh, you learn from other people, uh, other you know, resources, um, and people, you know, human resources are very important. And so uh, the idea of continuing to learn has a lot to do with that self-reflective process. Uh, the idea that self-reflection leads to self-diagnosis, and self-diagnosis leads to self-correction, and self-correction leads to change. Well said. Thank you. Um, you, know, you know, as you're talking, I also think about self-reflection and how quite often we have a blind spot. So yes. I can self-reflect all I want, right? Right. But if I don't have a friend or a mentor, a, mentor, right. a coach, yeah. who, can, who can not only see my blind spot, but right. tell me about it, right. exactly. and I'm open to it, then. Exa exactly. Uh, and that's, that's what, you know, good supervision, that's what good coaching is all about, is having somebody who you trust, somebody near you, who gives you an extra set of eyes and ears, an extra brain to help you process, uh, who challenges you uh, in terms of your assumptions, in terms of your conclusions, challenges you not in a judgmental way to say, no, you're wrong, uh, uh, but somebody who holds up the evidence, holds up your words and asks you to clarify and explain and make your case. 
that's how you go about learning. And uh, I guess that's called critical thinking. Uh, that you could only go, and I, I agree with you, you could only go so far uh, all by yourself with regard to self-reflection. Uh, you need the help of others yeah. uh, in stimulating your critical thinking. Yeah, that's quite true. Thank you. Um, now, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? Well, I, you know, I, I, I read a lot of stuff uh, all the time. Um, again, I, I thought about that. Uh, there's uh, Neil Postman uh, was a uh, a teacher and author. Um, uh, he died, I would say, about ten years ago. Uh, and one of the books, of many of the books that he had written, and I had met Neil very early on uh, in my career. I was a very young man, and he was maybe 10 years older than I was. He, he died a pretty early death, um, but a terrific guy and a wonderful thinker. Uh, and he wrote uh, something called, and you could, you could get it as a used book on uh, Amazon. Uh, part of my roots uh, has also taught me to be frugal, so I buy <laughs> used books. I love Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, and he, he wrote, uh, Teaching as a Subversive Activity. And in the book, he explores um, the importance of, of all things, critical thinking, that schools ought to be places, classrooms ought to be places, where uh, critical thinking is really emphasized so that all people can learn the importance of figuring out that a lot of the stuff that surrounds all of us, a lot of the messages that we get are nonsense. And our ability to sort those out and reveal to ourselves that a lot of what uh, people are saying and doing and asking us to believe is nothing but nonsense. Is to challenge uh, uh, what is accepted um, uh, as a result of uh, the power of the intellect, uh, which starts with uh, critical thinking, which starts with inquiry. And it's a great book. Uh, there's another uh, really terrific book that takes a look at schools from the inside as to how they really work. Uh, and the, uh, it's kind of an insider's guide to the politics of schools. Uh, and it's by uh, Fenwick English uh, and a co-author whose name I cannot remember. Um, and the title of, uh, of that book uh, is uh, What They Didn't Teach You in Schools of Education. Uh, again, you could get that on Amazon. That was written back in the uh, mid-80s, and um, uh, Neil Postman's book was written, I believe, in the early 70s. Those were two of you know, many of the, the, the uh, books that I, I, I think. Uh, and a lot of times when you read something, what it does is it reinforces your biases that you've had all along. 
uh, those are the books I really like to read. But you know what's interesting, and it speaks to what we were talking about, yes. how education really hasn't changed, or leadership and the cultures mm-hmm. haven't changed for no. quite a while. No, they they, that they this haven't was, changed at th- all. This was written in the 1980s, and it's yeah. still relevant oh, yeah. today. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, they, it, it rings true. If, you've read, if you read those books today, it sounds like they were just written yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have? Well, <laughs> at this point, uh, yeah, I've been retired. Uh, I'll be retired six years uh, as a superintendent. I retired as a superintendent of schools uh, in Glen Cove. Um, after 46 years of uh uh, in, in public education. Uh, I, but you still keep yourself active. I, I do. I, I do a lot of writing. Um, I do a lot of reading. Uh, I coach uh, aspiring leaders and school leaders uh, who want to take the next steps in their career. Uh, I've written two books uh, about uh, how to get that next job, uh, one for school leaders and one for teachers. Uh, I, I uh, finished a novel uh, where the protagonist is, uh, of all things, the superintendent of schools <laughs> um, and has uh, all of the political challenges and uh, uh, even some physical challenges that he has to face. Um, and it's uh, a great deal of it is autobiographical and the part about the... Uh, um, neo-Nazis trying to kill him uh, was gleaned from my career but that's a whole other story (laughs) I would love to oh Oh. that was quite a story is it published already uh, no it's not published I'm I'm looking for a literary agent okay Uh, I'm not gonna self-publish I I want this to be published uh, by a legitimate uh, um, publisher uh, and we'll see you know if that happens Uh, uh, like so many other things in my life, uh, uh, there's been a lot of rejection. Um, in, in being a candidate for jobs, I, I like to say to people, don't worry if you're rejected. I could wallpaper uh, this, this entire apartment uh, with letters of rejection that I got over the years. And I still did okay. So uh, perseverance, I mean, that comes back to that theme again. Uh, so I do all of those, th- and I also do a great deal of traveling. I just booked a trip uh, to Alaska on a small boat, which is going to take us into all of the inlets. Uh, the last few years, uh, I've traveled to Israel, I've traveled to uh, Peru, I've traveled to Africa, uh, I've traveled to a lot of the places that uh, I've always wanted to go to. So uh, uh, this. You know, little guy from the Bronx uh, certainly has been able to do some Not traveling. such a little guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny because I, I, I did purchase your book about how to get a job okay, because I was I looking to get it. a job. I hope you and read it. One of the things that I, I was reading it, and one of the things that um, I loved about it and spoke to me it was how you have to have integrity yes. in everything. Yes. You can't call yourself a doctor until you're a doctor. Oh yeah, that, that was that was one of the <laughs> lessons. Is, yeah, yeah, which is that's very, a true story. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and so and, it, and your listeners, uh, they'll have to get the book in order to read that little yes. book, that little story that I tell. And we will post it on our okay. on our show Ooh, notes. I promise you. Way to go. <laughs> okay, so many, and we're, we're we have about two more questions, so sure. I want to wrap it up. Go but for it. Um, many educational leaders 
administrators they put in so the their hours are so long yes you know sometimes they forget to eat yes they don't take care of themselves but yes. they put in such long hours what advice would you give about maintaining balance in in their lives yeah. well uh you have to have a loving family i mean that's really critical uh you have to have a place to come home to uh and give love and receive love uh, and be fulfilled uh, you have to have enough sleep um, and you have to be able to eat right uh, otherwise you're going to get sick uh, i've known too many educators uh, very hard-working people who died way too early uh, because of the stress and not taking good care of themselves. Uh, I'm a great believer uh, in uh, eating right, getting enough sleep, uh, and having people around you uh, who give you a lot of emotional support and psychological support. Uh, I think you could live a long life if you have all of those things working for you. Uh, and that's what gives you, that's what gives you balance uh, in, in your life. Uh, being a good father, being a good husband, uh, gives you that kind of balance and sometimes is a rather humbling experience as well when they tell you about your shortcomings and that's yeah. important too. <laughs> your best coaches. That's best right, coaches. that's right. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's great advice and um, if you don't have any of that, a good coach that's or mentor right. That's right. is really important. Well, you know, many of my uh, former clients, they call me all the time, yeah. uh, no charge. Uh, and uh, share with me the, the problems that they're going through and I try to help them sort those out. Uh, we go through an inquiry process with them. Um, and so uh, that's very fulfilling to me as well, is to continue to mentor uh, young people who are coming up. Uh, I, didn't, I, I, I had some, but I certainly could have used a whole lot more particularly in the middle and towards the end of my career. I, I could have used, you know, continued to use more mentoring and coaching. That would have been very helpful to me. Wow, fantastic. Well, Larry, we're at the end. Um, actually, one more question. Shoot. <laughs> Sorry. If you can go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Uh, yeah, I thought about that. Uh, it, it has to do with being impatient. Uh, as a young man, I was very impatient. And people saw that uh, as being arrogant. Uh, I was accused very often about being arrogant. And that's only because I was impatient. I was impatient with other people. I was impatient with myself. I was impatient with uh, how quickly things were moving along uh, where uh, the outcome to me uh, was very clear from the beginning uh, and other people just didn't somehow didn't see it uh, and so as you mature you learn that you really need to be patient with other people and also patient with yourself uh, and that uh, in that way uh, you know you're not uh, misinterpreted, you're not misread. Uh, so I, I would say the, the great lesson uh, is to be patient. 
And that's important because sometimes we're really hard on ourselves. And it, it's a matter of ma that, that's people. that's maturity. Yeah. You know, that that's a matter of maturity. We we talk about youth and their impatience, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, young people have to learn how to be more. And life teaches you how to be more patient. Okay. Well, Dr. Arenstein, I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. Thank you. And it's been great. Thank you so much. Terrific. Nice talking to you. Hello, leaders. I would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me at www.masterleadership.org and find out how you can receive a free coaching session. I'm looking forward to our next time together. Bye.